Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Ja, men ja, då var det alltså dags för att dela en flaska igen. Den här gången har jag varit nere i Växjö. Jag tog bilen ner dit för att träffa Ruben Sans Ramiro. Känner du inte honom så kan det bero på att han har spenderat största delen av sitt liv utomlands, bott i olika länder, född i Ribera del Duero. Han är som chefsommelier på Smålands bästa krog, en av Sveriges bästa krogar och en av Sveriges största vinkällare, PM och vänner. Och vi sitter där i ett hotellrum strax ovanför matsalen där han jobbar. Jag hoppas att ni hör allt vi säger och... Om det inte skulle riktigt gå fram så går det alltid att spola tillbaka och lyssna en gång till. Hoppas ni tycker det är kul att träffa honom. Han är en alldeles underbar människa och briljant som är. Nu rullar vi. I'm very pleased to be able to say to you welcome. Welcome to PM and Banner. And uh, welcome to Vekwa Smaland. <laughs> Thank you very much. Does it feel like your new home? Indeed, yeah. So I moved to Sweden uh, from New York, effectively, the end of uh, March last year. Um, and I... Even though I was already involved and with PM, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, I was able to come to PM for a few times before. And did you know um, the sommelier of PM, Andreas Larsson, before? Or yes, of course. Um, Andreas is um, world famous, and I had the opportunity to first time I. I met him was in 2005. He was doing a lecture at um, a congress, the first congress in, in Rivera del Duero in Spain, mm-hmm. which is actually the, the region where I'm coming from. And they did a first international congress in um, in 2005, and he was one of the opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think by the time he was like very familiar of Europe and he won uh, quite a few competitions and he was certainly well known then and then after he became best familiar in the world in 2007 um, certainly I mean 
Kiss, 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 a well-known figure mm-hmm. in our profession. Did you compete yourself at that time, or I never compete. Never. No. Why? I guess I'm not a competitive person. <laughs> I, I don't okay. know. I never took that path. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that. Um, be able to start competing it, it's also due probably if you are in the right context in the sense that you have colleagues and that are competing or you have a mentor that push you to compete and and, and that and I never I, I haven't really had that through through my career so I have a tremendous tremendous respect and admiration mm. for all of those that uh, go through that path and I have, at the same time, great hopes for one of our sommeliers here at PM and Banner, Johan Nilsson, mm. who is part now of the um, uh, Swedish sommelier team. Mm. Uh, he's going to compete in the upcoming Nordic um, Challenge. Yeah, he's very, very talented. And he's fantastic. Mm. He is really, really, really good. And... Uh, pretty much put uh, all my energy and time in uh, studying and you know, I took um, the, the path of uh, a Master of Wine and, and, and some sort of a different um, intellectual and study uh, career and, and um, that was not particularly that. Um, because also I was surrounded by people who were in that particular mm-hmm. uh, process and I have a great mentor her name is Lisa Granick Master of Wine in, in, in New York she inspired me very much to, mm-hmm. to pursue that career and that's what I did basically so I mean it's a combination of different things I you know I, I know so little of everything that I would like to learn and discover from the world of wine and beverages in general that there is no reason for me to be you know proud of cooking about it meaning in the sense that I want to be able to understand better what is wine and you know I'm one I'm another passionate sommelier I'm another a passionate wine lover and I'm another um, person who is there to trying to unveil the secrets and the mysteries of wine basically mm. that's how I consider myself and and I will think I must say that that's how I'm going to see myself for the rest of my life because I don't think that life is long enough to be able of unveil all those secrets no? so that might be the reason why you started the master of wine studies absolutely because it seems to never end yes i yeah i i did my i did my first assignment for the first year and i successfully passed it and it, and then i put my the second year which is the year then after you complete you can set your exams your final exams i actually just put it on hold um, because it is a very demanding program and very demanding studies and you really need to feel um, completely in control of your time and your life and, and, and being able to be fully grounded and as you can imagine after 
across the Atlantic and moving from New York to to Sweden to Bequa, um, I'm still a little bit far from it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning through the day. Uh, so as as soon as I am, um, I have that balance in 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 life. Um, I will certainly um, continue with it and be able to progress hopefully. <laughs> I brought a bottle, a bottle of red wine, and, and we're sitting here at um, Pima Venner. The wine is gorgeous. I, I was actually sitting here since perhaps you poured the glasses mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. Um, all the perfume aromatics coming out of the glass were taking over the room. I was just sitting here and, and the aromas were just exhalating off the glass. Um, yes. It's very pretty. Mm? Uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of um, high tone aromatics and, and purity of fruit that makes this wine really um, attractive. Mm? Yeah. How do you um, usually uh, approach uh, I would say, I mean, by the color you can tell that um, the intensity of the color is not very, it's not very profound, it's not deep, it's not opaque, um, it comes probably from a grape variety that um, doesn't have a high level of anthocyanins or tannins, yeah. no. so that's the first hint that um, we will gather from it. Mm. Um, then the color, uh, I think, it can tell us a, a little bit. I would say that just it, it might be going through a slightly process of developing uh, quality since the, the color is fading on the rim a little bit from um, from ruby, uh, just mm -hmm. slightly. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and that is often, as we know well, you know, because through. Um, maybe a little bit of evolution of age on the bottle, but not necessarily. Some, some great varieties, they are just like that. You yeah, know? Like, like San Giovese, yeah. Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, yeah. Exactly. So I look at the wine also like food, um, in the sense that food is there, obviously, to... It's been there, traditionally speaking, to be enjoyed by the sense of, the, sense of t the taste, yeah? But um, when I look at plate of food, I also, obviously, and everybody does that, of course, and the chefs, they want to present something visually attractive. Mm. And I like to smell the food before I'm eating it as well, because I think, you know, uh, there is, uh, it really offers you an, an, an extra dimension of what is going on in the plate. Do you mind serving uh, unfiltered wine without decanting it? I mean, it, de it depends. I mean, I, I think that um, if the wine do has a lot of deposits, I, I like to decanter it. Mm. Um, if I know that the wine is not going to suffer from the aeration. Mm. Um, so, um, I don't mind myself drinking wine that has a lot of deposits. I don't mind, you know. The deposits normally 
it comes towards the end because mm. it's the last glass, mm. you know, and it changes a little bit the texture of the wine. Uh, I am aware that the guests uh, and uh, many wine drinkers or consumers, as however we wanted to call them, they some of them they don't like that. Yeah. So therefore, uh, you know, if I can, I try to serve them the cleanest uh, mm. wine as possible because I know that is going to make them feel happier. Mm. <laughs> and at the end, I'm here just to make people happy, you know? <laughs> That's your job. You know? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a sommelier in the, um, in the service industry and mm. my studies, I, I did, um, I study hotel and business management initially mm. in, in the in the Universidad Autónoma de Barcelona in Spain, in Catalonia. And the first day when we went to, <laughs> when we walked into the class, I remember that and vividly our teacher says, mm. okay, you know what you're here for. You're here because you want to become sales, uh, happiness, uh, people who sells happiness and, and people who make oh, people okay. happy. That's your final goal, you know? So, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm here as well, you know, <laughs> to make people happy. But, but that's true, isn't it? Indeed. I, I think that... Um, sorry, I was actually... You, you, were, you were in the wine, okay. I was in the wine. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that, I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this wine. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's good. Yeah. I take it again, because yeah. my question wasn't totally clear either. Are there any addition on the menu tonight that you're really excited about? Any combination? Oh, well, um, All of them? Yeah, of course. <laughs> we, we, change the, we change the dishes um, quite regularly. Um, chefs come up with... Uh, pretty much menu changes for the bistro, for mm. instance, every four weeks. Mm. And at the Mat Salon, there are also changes every four weeks, and then for the tasting menu, they are happening even more frequently. Mm. And the reason behind is because um, the philosophy here at PM and Bannon is very clear, and it's... Um, the chefs and um, everybody at PM are here to explore what a small land has to offer regarding mm. its particularities of the terroir and uh, what is out there in the nature to offer to us. And we work with this and we embrace what the nature gives us. And as the nature changes through the seasons, we change as well. Um, everybody kind of moves along with it. Mm. And from a wine perspective, I move along with it as well. Um, so there are certain times of the year that I might be working more with a particular style of wines because that's what the season is telling mm. me to do so. And, you know, the chefs are extraordinary how they translate that into the plates. Mm. <clears throat> and um, I'm trying to, I'm trying just to be a guest of it, mm. you know. I'm trying just to um, 
um, disturb the least as possible through the choice of wines mm -hmm. but trying to make to enhance the dishes um, as much as I can there is a constant conversation always with uh, with with uh, with the chefs and um, we discuss dishes we taste them together um, we taste wines together you know we we see a small and at pm through the food and I'm in the back seat mm. you know they're driving the car <laughs> And, um, has it always been like that when you've been working in other restaurants has the sommelier always been like in the back seat uh, not necessarily no. not necessarily no but you never start with a bottle of wine and create a dish you usually go the other way around um Ray, for an example if you find a fantastic bottle of wine a sherry for example and you just walk up to the chef and said can, we, can you just cook something <laughs> so we can drink this <laughs> <laughs> um, yes and no. I I come into this into the position where, in certain occasions, I might have that bottle of wine in my mind, but I might suggest certain changes in dishes that I think it can be changed in order to fit that bottle of wine. I I don't see myself as a. I don't create in the way that chefs do. I, I think chefs are the, are the creators, are the ones that really, you know, they are the artists. Mm -hmm. um, I can have certain ideas about, okay, you know, this wine certainly works with this food, that food, and I think if we do this together, mm -hmm. but with the wine, when I'm cooking at home, you know, I have a bottle of wine, and I, that I wanna drink, and then I might cook to myself, mm -hmm. But um, I think it's not, I don't see part of my job as a sommelier to tell the chef what to cook, you know what I mean? If we just um, take it back, I mean, you were born in a wine region, very famous wine region, Ribera del Duero. Mm -hmm. um, how, was, how was it to grow up in Ribera del Duero? I mean, it's a spe really specific wine region. Mm. Well, this one is really nice. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, um, it was the reason why I'm here, I suppose, today. The curiosity of wine became because I always had a bottle of wine at home. Mm. Mm, uh, back in my parents... Were your parents involved in the wine business? Not directly. Um, my, from my father's side, my uh, family uh, had vineyards. And my my father growing up was working in the vineyards as well, and they did harvest and have uh, you know people to come to the harvest and harvest the vineyards and all of that. So I mean they they had they were growing grapes and they were selling them to a cooperative. That was the norm, you know, back in the sixties, mm. and uh, very few people were really making their own wine. You know, that was the norm in Spain, in Italy, many places around. But you um, were never interested no. in that part of. Yes, of course, I am. Yeah. Now, but when you were when you were a kid, when you were growing up, were you? No, no, and uh, because by the time I was I I uh, I was born, um, all those vineyards were sold. Oh, okay. So I never really have a con direct contact with wine growing myself. I see. Only to you know wine as a 
I, you know, as a child, have seen in my family always have wine, and and I was very attracted by gastronomy. Mm. You know, my mom was an excellent chef, and you know, I I spent a lot of hours with her in the kitchen, and you know, I was always there, opening pots and tasting, and okay. you know, and and I, I, that was to me fascinating. So for a long time, I was actually myself, I wanted to be a chef, growing up, you know. How old were you then? Maybe like, you know, 10, 12, mm. 13, all the way until, you know, when the decision came, I realized, well, there are also a lot of aspects around it that I, I don't want to really be a chef because, you know, I'm, I also I want to integrate wine into my work and the whole experience uh, around it so I didn't took that path yeah. and I you know sort of saw the the whole gastronomy experience as a global unit and that's why I ended up doing hotel and restaurant management studies and such and then after that specialized more prof profoundly mm. in, in wine but you started to study in in Ribera at Duero in there I did basic courses about you know um uh, wine tasting and you know and wine making and, shit and things like that mm. basic you know introductory I did uh, more advanced studies uh, when I uh, studied hotel and restaurant management in, when I'm, I'm, I left Rivera del Duro and I moved to mm. Barcelona and I studied there for four years and then when I finished my, when I finished my studies I realized that actually it was wine but I want to really work with exclusively um, and I want to become specialized into and then I moved to London did you get a job in Barcelona before or did you I was working during my studies I was working for a really good um, catering company okay really really good actually uh, one of the greatest catering companies in Catalonia we were doing events for you know all the politicians, all the um, upper class and greatest business in, in Catalonia. I mean, it was fantastic during three years. You know, I was studying and I was having that as a side job. So I was working maybe like two days, three days a week. And, and that was a great experience. But I never really worked in a restaurant during that time because, you know, I was, I was studying really. And then you decided to go to London. I decided to go to London. I went to London with a contact, one contact. <laughs> I didn't like, know anyone. Very reliable contact. Though. A very reliable contact, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're you're fearless when you are young. I'm still fearless, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving all the way from, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> losing, risking everything. Exactly. So, in uh, London, I consider to be the capital of the wine trade in Europe, and I wanted to learn wine as much as I could, and in a global level. So London was the only way for me. So what did, did you study in London? Yeah, so when I moved to London, I right away um, started my studies at the um, Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Mm. Got a job. Uh, a friend of mine put me in contact with um, and Peter Gordon, who is uh, probably the most acclaimed New Zealand chef. Uh, who has in London now several restaurants, but I work 
with him at um, at the Providors, and uh, I, I worked there in, in Marie Le Bon High Street, and that was fantastic because I knew nothing about New Zealand and Australian wines, and that was the focus of the restaurant. And then I I needed a change, and I worked I went to work as an assistant sommelier at the Fatak outside mm-hmm. of London. Fatak, how was that? Oh, it was extraordinary. Um, I mean, you heard so many stories about Heston Blumenthal. And he's, a, he's a brilliant person. Mm. He's a brilliant person, an extraordinary talented chef, and probably one of the smartest people I ever met. Appreciating the art of dining at the highest level, and believe me, I I see greatness from you know, and could give up to you know, um, at three Michelin star restaurants all the way through. I think you know every single concept and everything single restaurant when it's done right is amazing. But I am a I'm a romantic guy, you know. And I think that there is a charm behind fine dining that should be preserved. And I have a lot of joy out of it. Mm. You know, I think there is a skill, there is a craft behind fine dining that unfortunately is becoming rare. And we are losing it because we are living in a really fast world. A really fast society where it seems all of a sudden that we don't have time enough to spend four hours with people who you care for and you love to dine and talk and enjoy fine wine and fine food. And, you know, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to give time to great things in life. There are a lot of great restaurants out there, but I might have to tell you that um, 11 Madison Park in New York. Mm. I last time I was there I think it was in 2011 and that is probably one of the greatest fine dining experience I have one of the greatest expression of um, fine detail precision and and the first moment that you put your feet in you know you feel this amazing energy that very few places can make that happen. Mm. They did it all the way through, and food is extraordinary, highest level possible. And service is exquisite as you know, as, as you can expect it, and everything was seamless, it was fantastic. That's to me remaining one of the greatest experiences. Uh, and you know, it's vividly in my memory because it wasn't that long ago, only three years, right? It's still <laughs> shining there, you know? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And after Fatak, you moved to New York and you started to work at Veritas. Was that the first restaurant in New York? No, actually. When I, no, when I moved to New York I, in the beginning of 2005, I, I worked in, in London with uh, Brad Farmery, a great chef who is original from Pittsburgh. Uh, Pennsylvania, moved back to New York, to the States, in New York. He, we were in contact and he told me, 
dude, if you want to come to New York, mm. come and work with me. We will arrange everything for you, working visa and all that, which, as you know, it's really complicated. It's a mm. tedious process. Uh, and it's, it's, it's um, yeah. So I say, great, you know, perfect. Let's do this. Let's do, let's do this. Um, so I was, I started working with him and, you know, we went through the process of opening two new restaurants at the public, a great wine bar called The Mandarin Room, and a restaurant called Apple Crown, and, and I was together for about four years. Uh, with uh, this uh, restaurant group, Avoco. I left in 2009 and I wanted to take a break and I wanted to learn more uh, directly about viticulture, uh, vinification, and moved to France for about six, eight months and whoa, I travel a little bit through mm. France, Germany, Italy, Spain, visiting some producers and such. And then I worked for about half a year uh, as an intern at uh, Domaine Saint-Cumbrèche in Alsace. Mm. You have a lot but of wines from them in, in your cellar here. I do, because... Is it because of you or is it because of earlier something? Yes, uh, <laughs> because... Well, they had already wines from them, of course, but I had a few more selections because I considered some of the wines to be among the best wines in the world, period. Easy as that. It's <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah. You know, I, and that's one of the reasons why I want to work there. Mm. That's, that was one, and the second because Olivier Humbrecht, mm. I don't know if you met him, but if you have the opportunity to meet him, you will realize that he's probably one of the most knowledgeable, inspiring, and um, people in the wine industry. He, it is unbelievable. An hour with him, it will give you knowledge that would you not get from, you know, hours of reading a great book. Mm. He's amazing. He was the first master of wine, French. He was a master of wine in 1989. 1989? The first French master of wine. So he has a wide, wide, wide uh, understanding and knowledge of wine. I, it's been. It was one of, and is today one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. how long did he stay there? About six months. Okay. Yeah. So I went. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back to New York after that. And then was when I got a position as a sommelier at Veritas, working under the legend Tim Kopeck. Um, and then um, another stunning seller to take care of. Oh, well, that's that's something else. I mean, <laughs> that's I, I will never in my life work with something like that. Uh, that I know. <laughs> How many bottles do you have in this? <laughs> okay, this was a unique restaurant. You know, at the time, it was two restaurants in New York that were kind of the same, but unique around the world. I would mm-hmm. say one was Cru. And the other one was very tense, right? And both restaurants were created from the private sellers of some of the largest wine collectors in the United States and in the world. So basically, these um, extraordinary wine collectors have um, decided to open their collections and put them uh, in the cellars for those, in the cellar of the restaurant, in this case, very tense, for everybody to enjoy. So you were talking. You were talking at the time of you know having over a, you know like one hundred and fifty thousand bottles or something like that available. <laughs> well, not all at the restaurant, of course, but you know that was the stock you could draw from. And mm-hmm. um, when I first started working there, I mean it was absolutely unbelievable. I mean unbelievable. I mean I think today about that, and I kind of still, I, I say like. Oh my God! This was really happening at the time. Mm. I mean, we were having like, you know, verticals of, you know, I mean, you know, Romane Conti back to the 1920s, you know, Rumier, Moussigny back to the 50s, you know, Beauvais the same. I mean, producers, Armand Rousseau, Chambertin back to the 1919, uh, 1919, you know, <laughs> things like that. And the, and, and the same goes to, you know, I don't know. You know, Bordeaux to the same period, you know, uh, Rhone's to the same period. I mean, like all the classic regions were represented within the same depth. I mean, it's incredible, amazing. Um, I was there for three years and tasting wines that I'm probably never going to taste again in my mm. life, you know, and I'm only going to dream and remember about it. So, what made you quit? Why did you leave? Because you, you left New York then, got back to Europe. Well, I left to come here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's my good question. Well, was I mean, it I, I, family business, love? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was um, was was a family family decision. Mm. It, was on, it was a mutual decision that um, you know we decided that was a good time for us to make that change, mm. basically. So just yes, to make, make it clear, your, your wife, your girlfriend, she's from Sweden? My wife is from Sweden. Your wife? Yeah, so that was the trigger. Mm. Um, yeah, my wife um, got 
you know, an interest, a very good interest in uh, job proposal that um, we consider and we consider as well our our perspective in life. Mm. You know, uh, we both, my wife and I, wanted to at some point to come back to Europe, and we always thought that. We wanted to raise a family, and yeah. you just started. Yes, exactly. And Congratulations! You said you. you said before three months old daughter. Yeah, exactly. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are really happy, and we we try to look to the to the world with open minds and open eyes. And there are uh, extraordinary things to be enjoying anywhere you are. Mm. You know, New York is not the end of the world. <laughs> And you know, living in a small land, it can be in many ways equally as exciting as living in New York. Do you have your own wine cellar collection? Yeah, I, I I have a I, I have a few wines. I, I do not too many because um, living in New York, um, I mean moving around as much as I do, it makes it very difficult for you to store wines, you know. So during my my tenure in in London and New York, I was very much buying wines to consume. And that's one of the greatest things as well of living in a place like New York and London. You walk down the street to your wine shop, and you can end up uh, leaving the shop with a great bottle of, you know, whatever, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you name it, or, you know, new release. Or, um, so I was, I was buying a lot of wines, and I was drinking them. Hmm. I do, however, now have a cellar, and I have, you know, I have a couple of cellars, as a matter of fact, uh, two places where I keep wines. Hmm. I, it's very tiny still because I haven't been buying wine to keep for so long, but it is something that I am doing more uh, profusely right hmm. now. And uh, but what what wine do you keep? I love Burgundy. Unfortunately, Burgundy has become so expensive that I cannot really afford them as I did in the past anymore. It's very sad, but, you know, mm. buying Burgundy five, ten years ago was half the price. And, um, you know, it's, it, it has become a really tricky, really, really tricky to, to be able to afford any Burgundy. I buy a lot of Northern Rhone, Cornas, mm. and, uh, well, not a lot, because, you know, Cornas also has become kind of pricey mm. for so, some of the producers that, you know, we like to have and drink. Uh, San Josef, quite a bit. Mm. Um, there you can still do a few bargains, yeah, I think. Exactly. But it's just such a huge appellation. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, there are some really talented people there that mm. can really serve you Syrah. Uh, so Cross Hermitage, there are a couple of things there mm. as well that you can buy and you can enjoy. Mm. Um, it's Chablis, mm. I don't buy any white burgundy, I do very little, but for the same reasons as red burgundy. Mm. So um, my focus is a lot of Chablis, mm. you know, in that sense, and I really do love Chablis. I like some uh, producers a lot in the Loire Valley, um, mm. I'm, you know, certain Chenin Blancs I, I like very much. 
Any specific producer? I like a lot of Bouvray. Mm-hmm. People want a delicate and crystalline instead of mm-hmm. Chenin. And, you know, I have a really soft spot, spot for, you know, Fourreau style, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, very classic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this one is uh, tremendous. You know, if I want a richer style, I tend to lean towards um, Anjou and Savenier, you mm-hmm. know, Domaine du Closel or something like that. Some Cabernet Francs also I like very much. Mm-hmm. I tend always look for Also more. from Loire. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, to me, if there's one producer that I could be happy to drink in the rest of my life, obviously it is the ones from um, Foucault, Claude Rougeard, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we do have them here, which is, is great. And there is a really talented grower in the Loire, uh, in Bourgogne, uh, called uh, Jenny Camiro, mm-hmm. that produce very pure, direct. Um, elegant and fresh and crisp uh, style of uh, Cabernet Franc that are absolutely fantastic. Mm. I mean, Troué, if you want a bit more rustic style, more traditional, they're beautiful as well. I mean, there are a lot of great people out there in, in you know, in, 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 in the Loire. Uh, but yeah, you know, the ones that are affordable, they mm. deliver, they're great. Um, so I, I go there I mean, I love Tuscany, for mm. instance, and Giovese, traditional style. I like, you know, I like crisp, high acid driven wines, mm. <laughs> and Sangiovese, Sangiovese delivers, mm. you know. I like wines that they are driven by subtlety. I, dr- I like wines that are driven by finesse, by, driven by freshness, by elegance. Mm. I don't like loud wines, I don't like loud things mm. in life. I don't like showy things, yeah. you know. And wine is... And in Spain, I'm trying to look for wines that are driven by the same... Uh, by the same qualities. Are there any hidden treasures in Spain? Warm grapes or blends or styles to be Well, I, I don't explored? Be, I don't believe today there is really any hidden treasures anywhere. We, are, we live in such a global world that... You know, it takes one second for somebody to just post something mm. on Facebook or Instagram and it is not a secret anymore. Are there any regions in, in Spain that you would like to push or put light on? I do, certainly. Certainly. I mean, there are many of them. Um, um, but I do certainly believe that um, some, of, some, some of the greatest wines... Uh, will be produced and are produced today in the northwest of Spain. Yeah, you know, Rivera Sacra and uh, Bierzo and such. That's, to me, one of the most uh, attractive regions in Spain. But Spain is a country as well that is, um, is, is been changing for the past um, 35 years, you know, constantly in many different ways mm. politically and that involves socially um, elements and economically elements and that affects the way you're making wine also mm. uh, everything is interconnected and there are a lot of new um, there, there's a new generation of producers in Spain as well that are also world travel that are really knowledgeable that uh, they have a really wide uh, um, scope of looking at wine and mm. 
that um, they are very open-minded and they are producing really exciting things. And uh, I see in the near future many changes happening in Spain, in any regions, from Rías Baixas to Jerez to Rivera del Duero, Rioja, Piriorat, you name it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really exciting country. I like very traditional Spanish wines as well. You know, I do tremendously. Mm. Traditional Riojas and pseudo traditional Riojas mm. because it's very interesting. The modern wines that uh, appeared in the early 90s in Spain, you know, the modern Riojas mm -hmm. all the time, today they are classics. Yeah. And they're great <laughs> wines. Um, and they're really old school wines. They are coming back, which is fantastic because I always love them, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, in uh, and you know, you, I think Rivera del Duero, there is there is a lot of to watch there. There's and some young um, growers and pushing the envelope and making exciting wines also. <laughs> Okay, so we just start. Uh, Beaujolais or Dolcetto? Beaujolais. Mosel or Rheingau? Mosel. Young wine or mature? Mature. Galloni or Parker? Quick. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a controversial question. Um, I mean, they'll only been working for Parker, so they are not exactly. another competitor. Exactly. Um, do, you, do you follow any wine magazine otherwise? Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm subscribed to the, the world of fine wine. Mm. Yeah, that's what I kind of like to, to read mm. as a wine magazine. Mm. Because yeah. I had a, another question here. Is the counter wine spectator? Um, they are both great. Mm. <laughs> you very democratic. Okay, uh, Napa or Santa Barbara? That's really tough also. Some of the greatest red wines I had so far, you know, which by the time Santa Barbara was not quite developed yet in the sense it is today, are coming from Napa, I would say Napa. I create Napa, <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, mm. Right, right. But I think, you know, when you say Napa, you have a certain, maybe, connotation about Napa Valley, right? Exactly. Which is probably not what I'm referring to. Yeah. Okay, we continue. Uh, sweet or strong? You know, I love sherry. And that's a fortified wine, so... <laughs> strong. I, strong. House wine or tap beer? House wine. Tasting notes or tasting memories? Both. Do you write tasting notes? I do. Huh? You could. I do a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. I, it's interesting. For many, many years, um, I always had um, the smallest, smallest clean you can they produce. It's a tiny one, just, you know. 
like uh, 10 centimeters. And uh, so it fits, it's very thin and it fits perfectly in your inner pocket of your jacket. So I have a col I have a group of models cleans with you know uh, testing lots of uh, ones that are really helpful for now for me to go back and look at. It. Do you have any? But you have any specific order or category? No? It's used by date. By date, so you yeah. try to remember when you tasted it. And then so every I I did it every day. Mm. So at the end of the the service. Um, I was just sitting down and write my notes about mm. the ones that I opened. So yeah, both tasting notes and tasting memories. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand or Australia? Oh, that's also a tough one. Um, I would say cool climate Australia and central Ottawa, New Zealand. How mm. about that? No, that's that's <laughs> not a specific answer. Um, uh, Hungary or Austria? I would say Hungary for sweets and Austria for dry. Okay. Cava or Prosecco? Cava. This might be a tough one. Rioja or Ribera del Duero? You're killing me here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I love them both. It's all right. Um, dry or off dry Riesling? It really depends. Mm. I for me, Riesling is one of the greatest varieties in the world that produce extraordinary wines in the whole mm. range of spectrum of sweetness. Best to sweet. Mm. I, I think they can be beautiful both. Yeah. The last one is pretty easy, I think. Champagne breakfast or wine lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Saturday, and you are actually going home to your family. Yes. You're not working tonight. No, I'm, no, I'm going down south. I'm going so, to Scone. Yeah. So, what wine would you bring home? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think um, I believe my mother-in-law is gonna is gonna cook some deer tonight. Oh, okay. You know, they get some meat from the hunters around, and and I have some, I have some. I have a little bit of wine down there, and I haven't really made my mind yet. But it could be something either from, uh, yeah, Northern Rhone, or yes. yeah, it could be maybe if if I want something a little bit richer, I might have even to turn south to Spain and mm. maybe even a Ribera del Duero. Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> if you should pick a, a bottle from the cellar. To the dinner tonight. What would you bring? Would you bring something like that as well? Or if you have, okay, pick whatever you want for dinner. <laughs> well, I might pick an old Bordeaux, an old Fichiac, for instance. You mm. know, like an like an '83 Fichiac. It would be mm. Magnum. Magnum, <laughs> Magnum is always the way to roll. You know, even if you are by yourself, you know. Magnum is the way to roll. Yes. <laughs> and it's a family bottle. Well, that's a general one. Sorry. What vintage are you? When are you, were you born? 77. 
tricky here. Really tricky. Nice vintage port. Correct. Quite good Californian. Mm, yeah. Actually, you find good uh, 77 red Californians. Californian are, <clears throat> are, are quite, mm. quite good, actually. Bordeaux was terrible. Burgundy, terrible. forget about that. Mm. Uh, really good year in Chianti, in Tuscany, in 77, mm. actually. I love Chianti Classic. Mm. It's another of the, we were talking about forgotten regions. Mm. The Classico area and some other areas within Chianti, like Colis and AC, or, you know. Do you have any, any other favorite producers of Chianti Classico? Uh, Montevertine mm. is, is one of my way to go. Persina, uh, I like very much. You know, um, I like the work of Elisabetta Fagioli in, 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 in not in the classical area, but um, uh, in, in the Coli Senesi area, which is tremendous. Um, uh, La Porta di Bertini in. in I think they are located in Greve. They are mm. fantastic. I mean, there are a lot of grey wine coming out. And it's another region to explore because the prices are really affordable mm. today still. And San Giovese can be tremendous. Mm. So, <coughs> thanks for having me here. I'm going to go down soon and eat dinner. Mm. Is there anything specially I should... Uh, look for in the wine list, or is there any combination that people? I would suggest to put your hands, put yourself on the hands of Johan, Johan Nielsen. Yeah. He will be taking care of you tonight because he's a fantastic sommelier, and he will be working tonight with uh, also Ulrika Bowman, who is a phenomenal. Uh, and uh, I would say just be brave and uh, adventures and let yourself just, you know, be taken care of by them. I will definitely. Mm. So, what are we drinking? I almost forgot about that. We have to All just right. make a. You do the conclusion. Alright. So, as when, I first, when, when you first served the wine, I, I, I really. You know, I was overtaken by the perfume of it, yeah? And um, yeah. Uh, we both agreed that it's uh, a wine made from grapes that, uh, you know, they are fairly delicate, not a lot of tannins, there's not a lot of color and such, and, and you know, so we are in the kind of Pinot Noirish family. Mm. And um, for a little bit of, for a, for a bit of time, I, I was, particularly when the wine was cooler, mm. You know, when the acidity was fresher and the alcohol mm. was not so marked, I even considered to be in the old world. Um, you know, I, I thought it could be even Grenache because I think that the, cra the grapes that this one is made from come from an area where there is a good amount of sun mm. and there is a good amount of warmth. Um, it's not a cool climate wine. Or if it is, it comes from a warm vintage. So I thought it could be maybe something from you know the Granada's family coming from the southern Rhone. I was even being in Spain in certain you know even Granada's high altitude or you know some other great varieties. But as the wine start to open up and as the time and the wine start to you know to warm up even more.
due to is um, you know um, relatively warm spike of alcohol, soft tannins, ripe fruit character. Um, obviously, you know the the perfume quality fruit that you expect from Pinot Noir and, and such. It kind of took me all the way across the Atlantic to California Pinot. And, um, Who's thinking? You know, and I was kind of more into, it's hard to nail it down, but maybe Sonoma Coast, or, mm. you know, some sort of a coolish area within California, because there is a sense of refinement in the wine still that takes you and it speaks about, um, um, you know, cool climate within a reasonable, you know, cool climate area. Very, very, very well put. And um, I mean, your your um, conclusion is spot on. Except you should, instead of travel that way, go the other way to New Zealand. Where in New Zealand? Where in New Zealand? All right. It's a warm climate area. We are in Martinborough. Martinborough. Right. So we are not in Central Otago because that used to be quite more crisp acidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that really cold uh, vintage. It's 2010. Who is the producer, by the way? Uh, it's uh, Martin Burrow Vineyards. Oh, he's one of the, the greats, one of the greatest, yeah. yeah. Classic, absolutely. They're, they're, they, I mean, Martin Burrow is one of the first vineyards, one of the first um, estates established in, of course, Martin Burrow, really. Mm. Um, tremendous. I haven't tasted their wines for a while. I work a lot in the past with them, actually, and um, it, it's great. Fabulous, thank you very much for bringing that. Uh, I'm not sure if they're making um, uh, vineyard sites wines. I don't, I don't think so, no. Um, they, do, they do a Chardonnay, which is also pretty mm. good. They do this Pinot. I believe they do um, Pinot Gris as well. And um, it might be even do a Riesling, I don't recall it. But not single vineyard ones. No. They're not so much about that. It's oh. more in Central Otago. They try to make vineyard wines. And it yeah. still is quite difficult to... To feel the difference when it comes to terroir, it's more it's, uh, to me. It's more easy to find the producer. Yeah, I agree with you, Alf, and I think that one of the reasons also is because the vineyards are very yeah. yeah. We need we need you know we need another fifty years in New Zealand to be able yeah. of that terroir to shine and to really you know yeah. um, see the difference so clearly. I also you know I thought okay. You are here in Bekwa, you're coming all the way from Stockholm and you bring in uh, you bring in a bottle of wine to share. So since we have I realized uh, that we have a couple of things in common. You know, it's our love and passion for wine but also music. Yes. So you brought the wine and I thought that would be a good idea to bring you the music. Ah <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Good so, idea. so I brought you an LP for you here also applying. Wow, record. Of course. <laughs> it's the only way to roll, man. <laughs> wow. So, thank you very much. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very random, obviously, to, it's like you, you know, to pick a bottle of wine. What the hell, you know, I'm going to pick. And, but I, I, I brought a, a record for you. Also. And it's a, in a brown bag. I it, like is, that. <laughs> it is from a store in San Francisco. Yeah. Wow. I don't know, you might ever have it, I don't know. No, I don't have it. Ambient to the Plateau of Mirror, Harold, Bud and Brian Ian. Ah, but this is a rare record. It is an American edition and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm... Wow. I'm also DJ a little bit sometimes, you know, not as much as you do. <laughs> 
but I'm really much into you know electronic music, of course, and I'm very much into into all sort of kind of experimental and ambient music. Yeah, also he's from like the, the godfather of electronic music. Uh -huh. So um, you know, he started to produce ambient music in 1975 when he was in the hospital and such. And this is the second release uh, of his ambient series. And you know, when and I happen, I have two copies of it. I I'm gonna bring you one. Thank you very much. Hoping that you don't have one already. <laughs> no, I don't. And uh, let's finish this podcast with just listen to it. That would be awesome. drink to this maybe it's just another bottle yeah some we should go now to burgundy yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Nej men se där, det där var ju alldeles förträffligt eh, härligt att återuppleva mötet med Ruben där nere på PM. Har ni vägarna förbi Växjö så missa inte. Ta in, käka en middag på PM, snacka med Ruben och beställ någonting från den fantastiska vinlistan. Eh, när ni är där, håll även utkik efter en annan mycket begåvad sommelier, Johan Nilsson som blev nordisk mästare här för ett tag sedan. Han ska jag också försöka ta ett snack med. Men mer om det senare. Ha det bra. Ciao. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.